Okay, now Genesis 32, 22 to 32. In this part, we see a test, God's test of Jacob. And Jacob passes the test. Genesis 32, 22. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. In verses 22 and 23, Jacob's family and his possessions, they move ahead, they cross the stream, the stream of the Jabok River or the, the Jabok stream. They cross it. And it doesn't tell us why Jacob stayed alone, but it says in verse 24, then Jacob was left alone. This seems to be purposely done. Jacob intentionally stayed behind at this point. And we don't know if he had an intimation to do so, whether he was told that he needed to send everyone ahead and for him to remain back. But he does remain back. And when he does, it says in verse 24, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So all night long, it says a man wrestled with him. Who is this man that wrestled with him? It seems that this man, it has to be Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ who wrestled with him. I'll seek to show this in a moment. But as you're reading this passage from verses 24 to 29, if you're not paying attention carefully to the pronouns and the sequence of this dialogue, it can be confusing who is talking to whom. And even though the New American Standard Bible typically is helpful with pronouns in reference to deity, in this case, at least in my edition, it does not help. It keeps the pronouns all lowercase for the he and the him, even though I believe that in half of these pronouns, they should be capitalized. So first for clarification, let me tell you if you want to make a note somehow, some way uh, as to which letters or which words should have a capital initial. Okay, the first one, verse 24, the word man, capital M. Verse 25, and when he, capital he, saw that he, capital, had not prevailed 
against him, that's Jacob, he, capital, touched the socket of his thigh, meaning Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he, capital, wrestled with him, Jacob. Then he, capital H, said, Let me go, capital M, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, that's Jacob said, I will not let you, capital Y, go unless you, capital Y, bless me. So he, capital H, said to him, to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Jacob said his name. Verse 28, and he said, capital H, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Verse 29, then Jacob asked him, capital H, and said, please tell me your name, capital Y. But he said, capital H, he, why is it that you ask my name, capital M? And he, capital H, blessed him there, blessed Jacob there. I trust that this is the correct way to understand this passage. Now, how and why is it that I think that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ? First, let's establish that we have deity present here. Deity present. Well, for one, we have a change of name, such as verse 28. We see this also happen with Jacob in chapter 35, where that is clearly God appearing to him. 35, 9 to 15, 35, 9 to 15, verse 9 says, God appeared to Jacob again. God appeared to Jacob again. And there also Jacob's name change is reiterated. Well, also in this passage, we have in verse 29, a blessing. Actually, right before the blessing, why is it that you ask my name? This is similar to what happens in the book of Judges when his, the name of Christ, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, when that was asked, he said, why is it that you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? Judges chapter 6. So there too, the, there's some pushback. Why is it that you ask my name? Further, in verse 29, and he, Christ, blessed him, Jacob. A greater person blesses a lesser person, right? In rank. Not in, not in, we're not talking about human worth or dignity, the image of God, but a person in rank, a higher person in rank or authority blesses the one that is lesser in rank or authority. And that's what we have here too. So this individual who wrestles with him blesses Jacob. Further, verse 30 Jacob commemorates this place, calling it Peniel. Peniel. Well, what does Peniel mean? In the original language, it means face of God. Face of God. That's the name of this place. And he says why he named it face of God. Right. I have seen God face to face. This tells us Jacob knew who wrestled with him. He says, I have seen God face to face. That's why he called it Peniel, face of God, the location where this incident occurred. Further, it says, yet my life has been preserved. 
Because if you see God, or if you are in the presence of God, you should expect to die because you're a sinner. Even if you're a redeemed sinner, you should expect to die if you're in the presence of God, which is a concept throughout Scripture. That's what's taking place in this section, this section of Scripture from Genesis 16 all the way throughout the Old Testament. Many examples of that. And we even have a couple of examples here in the New Testament. Luke 5, 8, after Jesus performed the miracle of, of the fish in the net, a net that was so full of fish, it was hard to drag the net back into the boat. The disciples couldn't catch anything all night, but then they obeyed Jesus when he says, throw the net overboard. And so when they haul that net of fish, what does Simon Peter do? He falls down and he says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. He knew he was in the presence of a holy and powerful God. And that's why he says, depart from me. He's not saying it disrespectfully. He's saying, I, I, I would die. I would die being in your presence, seeing this kind of power manifested in you. He says that. And also when John the Apostle, Revelation 1.17, saw an appearance of Christ, it says in verse 17 that I fell down as a dead man. I fell down as a dead man. And that's the natural, proper response in Scripture to seeing God. This is what he says in verse 30, 32, verse 30. Yet my life has been preserved. Also, the sons of Israel, they understood that a significant major event had occurred here, and their way of commemorating it is to avoid eating It says, the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he, that is capital H, touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. That was their way of remembering this incident by avoiding that part of the flesh. Now, not the flesh of a man, but the flesh of animals, because cannibalism is forbidden in Scripture. The flesh of animals, that sinew of the hip was avoided to remember Jacob's incident here. Further, evidence that we are dealing with a pre-incarnate Christ and Jacob knows about this. First, let's start in the Old Testament. Aside from the passage and our careful reading of it just now, look with me at Genesis 48, 15, and 16. Genesis 48, 15, and 16. Jacob is the speaker. He's blessing Joseph and Joseph's two sons. Genesis 48, 15, and 16. Jacob, the same patriarch, is speaking. 48, 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, may the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, May the angel who has redeemed me from all evil bless the lads. And may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst 
of the earth. Here he says that God, may God bless them. But a synonym in this passage for the God who he's praying to and hoping will bless the lads is also called an angel. Verse 16, angel. Now, when the scripture says angel, we are speaking of an uncreated angel or uncreated messenger, Christ. Because the basic meaning of the word angel is a messenger. An angel is a messenger, whether a heavenly messenger, that's why we say angel, but also this Hebrew word is used of an earthly messenger, such as a priest or a prophet or even messengers or emissaries, envoys of a king. They are called by this same word, but in those contexts, the translations say messenger. In this context, because the messenger originates from heaven, our translations say angel. And in Genesis 48, 16, it should have capitalized the A. Maybe if you have the New King James, it's capitalized as A, angel. The NASB does not do it there. It should have done it there too, in Genesis 48, 16. Further, let's see a confirmation in Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 to 5. Hosea 12, 3 to 5. In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel. And there he spoke with us. Who's the he that spoke with us? Even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. Hosea the prophet, hundreds of years after this incident in Genesis 32, and even in the life of Jacob, he says in verse 3, In the womb he, that's Jacob, took his brother Esau by the heel. That happened in the womb. But then in his maturity, in his adulthood, what did Jacob do? He contended or wrestled with God, Hosea says. That's our chapter, Genesis 32. He contended with God. Then it says in verse 4, yes, he wrestled with the angel. It should be a capital A. He wrestled with the angel, the uncreated messenger of God, and prevailed. Is that not what happened in Genesis 32? He wrestled and prevailed, Jacob did. And then it says in verse 5, Who is this one who appeared to Jacob, wrestled with Jacob? Verse 3 said, God. Verse 5 says, The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. And that word Lord is the word Yahweh or Jehovah the Lord. That's the Lord who appeared to Jacob. And he's called the God of hosts. Is that not what happened in the early part of the chapter? The angels of God, the plural created angels of God, came to accompany Jacob on his return journey to Canaan. The God of hosts, heavenly hosts who protect the people. Now, also a confirmation, John 1.18. John 1.18 
No man has seen God at any time. No man or no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God or the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That is, no one has seen the Father at any time. But the only begotten God, only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, the Son has explained the Father. Though we have never seen the Father, the Son has seen the Father, the Son is in the bosom of the Father, and the Son is the one who reveals the Father on the earth, according to John 1.18. One more place is John 8.56. John 8.56-59 to We have an example in Abraham. And the point here, if Abraham saw Christ, then why is it far-fetched to think that Jacob saw Christ? And in John 8.56, Jesus does tell us that Abraham saw Christ. John 8.56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Christ says in 56, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw Christ, clearly he did, in Genesis 18 and 19. In Genesis 18 and 19, Christ appeared along with two created angels, all three in the appearance of a man or men. They came, two were angels, and one was Christ in Genesis 18 and 19. Abraham, at that point, he did rejoice. He entertained them. He fed them. And also, he interceded with the Lord Jesus before the Lord proceeded on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. This is what happened there. This is at least one of the occasions that Abraham rejoiced. Well, the Jews understand that Abraham lived 2,000 years before this dialogue in John chapter 8. And therefore, how is it possible that Christ, born of Mary, and one of their contemporaries saw Abraham, and Abraham saw him 2,000 years prior to this? And Jesus answers that by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Not I have been, not I was, but I am. And with this, he cites Exodus 3.14, which Moses at the burning bush also saw Christ. And Christ says to Moses, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. They knew he was citing that passage, claiming to be their God. They didn't like it. They were accusing him of blasphemy. That's why they picked up stones to throw at him. So these are reasons why we believe that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Now, why is the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ important? 
Well, one, it makes sense of all of these scriptures. And we're just dealing with one passage. There are many other examples we could cite from the Old Testament and compare them to the New Testament. Many other passages. But it's important because it's one of a handful of reasons why we must believe that the gospel that Abraham believed and Jacob believed and Moses, David, and anyone else in the Old Testament, the gospel that they believed to save them from sins is the same gospel that we believe to save us from sins, that Jesus died and rose again on our behalf. They were anticipating his death, and now we, we commemorate his death. We look back in time, they look forward in time, and at one point in history, 2,000 years from our perspective, and even 2,000 years ahead of Abraham, Jesus Christ came in an incarnational body, not a temporary body, like he did in the Old Testament, but a real, tangible, incarnational body from Mary and by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit, that's how he came into the world to die for our sins. There is only one gospel from the beginning to the end, also called the covenant of grace, the everlasting covenant, and also the covenant of peace. The covenant of grace is a word that's not found in Scripture, but all it is is another way of saying this very same doctrine. One way of salvation from the beginning to the end of the Bible. So the pre-incarnate Christ is one of those arguments, major arguments to say that so many people encountered Christ. They knew who they were encountering and Christ taught them things. He revealed truth to them. And they believed in that truth. Therefore, Abraham was not devoid of the knowledge of the coming death and resurrection of Christ for his forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's why the pre-incarnate Christ doctrine or Christophany doctrine is a very important doctrine that cannot be compromised. It must be believed because it's throughout Scripture and it is one of the major arguments to prove that there's only one gospel by which we are saved. And, and Galatians 1, 6 to 10, puts us under a curse if we ever preach a different gospel. Right. Furthermore, we call this section God's test. God's test, right? Because otherwise, why is this passage here? Because it seems to be a very curious passage. Why would... This man, Christ, why would he come like this in temporary form and wrestle with Jacob? And then, since he is God, why did he let Jacob prevail? He didn't have to do that. But why did he let Jacob prevail? That is the enigmatic part about it. Why in the world would this happen and Jacob win a wrestling match with God? Why would that happen? Well... It's an illustration of the fact that God, as he says here, he says in verse 27, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, which means uh, strive with God. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. This is God's further assurance to him that he is overcoming all of the hardships and struggles of life 
and that this is also in, in anticipation of chapter 33 and also the rest of his life, that he will indeed prevail. God will make sure that his redeemed man, Jacob, enters eternal life. That's what he's doing here. And this isn't new. For God to put his people through hardships, through a test or a hardship, trials, tribulations, nothing new. The first test we see in Genesis 2, 15 to 17. These references are here. That is Adam in the garden, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. They were presented with the test before any sin was in the world. They failed the test, however. Genesis 22, it's introduced in Genesis 22 that Abraham was tested by God. Moses, when he narrates it, calls it God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham to put Isaac on the altar. And then God spared the death of Isaac, right? So that was a test for Abraham to fulfill, to succeed in that test, which he did. Job 1 to 2, God also tested Job, put him in the refiner's fire with those many struggles and hardships in chapters 1 and 2. And in the end, Job did not curse God. He was wayward at times in his faith, and he did doubt God, but he never rejected and denied and cursed God. He never did that. And finally, at the end, he repents of whatever doubts he had meantime, and God blesses him twofold at the end. But what was that? That was also a test. God appoints Satan to use nature and to use wicked men to bring afflictions on Job. But in the end, Job comes forth as gold, right? He was purified and came forth as gold. Christ himself, Matthew 4, verse 1, Christ himself was tested. Christ himself, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we know he never sinned. Matthew 4, 1 to 11 illustrates a few of these temptations. He did not sin. He was tempted by the devil, but tested by God. The test by God does not have the same intentions as the temptation of the devil. The temptation of the devil is for the purpose of destroying the one tempted. But the test of God has as its purpose to purify the one who is being tested. And even Jesus was. Hebrews 5, 8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. If Christ in his perfection learned obedience from suffering, is it too, too much for God to do the same with us? Not at all. James chapter 1. James 1, 2 to 4. James 1, 2 to 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It says, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces 
endurance. Endurance will have a perfect result, and we will end up being perfect and, and complete, lacking in nothing. And when we do experience temptations, what does God ordain for us? We win. Right? We win. Just like Jacob won, we also win the trials that come our way. 1 John 5, 4. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. The faith that God grants us is an enduring faith that overcomes the world. 1 John 5, 4. This is what God does. He puts us through these trials eventually for us to win. Because God's intention is not malicious. Satan's uh, intentions are malicious. Our flesh has malicious intentions. The world has malicious intentions against us, but not God. God's intentions are to purify us, to refine us, that we might come forth as gold. That's what he's doing in us. And this is, I think, and just an example in the life of Jacob. Not here just for our intellectual or theological curiosity. What was this going on and who was this man? Not just that, but it relates to the gospel to save us and also the gospel to sanctify us. That's why this is here in Scripture. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15, 4. Let's do the same. Endure no matter what. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.